Toby Football Show. It's international break time and not a moment too soon. As Euro 2020 qualifiers begin, today's show looks at the side they're all talking about England. There's the word on world champions France, their game with Moldova. Italy, are they turning up for this one? And Germany, Netherlands. We get the scoop with Simon Coover on whether it's still football against the enemy and how we should be pronouncing Virgil van Dijk. Plus your questions and we step on more butterflies with a flip-reverse-it trip back through time. All this in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Rhythm is a dancer. 90s beat poet Snap in full effect on this Totally Football show, in which we're joined by Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. I think you're the reason we're playing that, aren't you? I am indeed. All right. But we'll find out why. September 92. Julian Laurent, were you born in September 92? Yes, I was uh, just one month short of my 12th birthday. All right, Julian Laurent, a little bit of trivia. He's French, but he doesn't like to talk about it. James Horncastle also with us today. And you're getting excited about a game with Finland? Yeah. Um, and loads it's more. It's not how you start, it's how you finish, James. Hey, that's true, that's true. It's International Week, of course. There is so much to get us excited about. Uh, Euro 2020 qualifiers, by the time you hear this, probably uh, Northern Ireland will have kicked off against Estonia. Scotland might be underway against Kazakhstan. They've changed the name of the capital. Of Kazakhstan? Uh, yeah. What was it before? It was Astana. Of course. Um, which everyone knows. But now it is Nasultan after the uh, president who unexpectedly resigned this week. It's quite a, quite a big gesture um, for people that make signposts, if nothing else. Well, yeah, also because Astana isn't just the name of the capital city, because, but it's become a brand of a sporting brand. Of... It's a football club, it's a cycling team. Yeah. So at the Milan San Remo this weekend, we'll have Nasultan. Is that it? Well, who knows, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Scotland, good luck finding the stadium then. The maps will be worthless. Uh, anyway, loads of games, luckily, to be played, and some some very big ones, not least England against the Czech Republic at Wembley. Duncan, before we go too much further, mm. this is all about Euro 2020. How does what's just happened with the Nations League, how does that tie in with this? So I've actually looked at this this week. It's been been compelling. The Nations League essentially acts as a mechanism so big teams can't leave Europe, which seems apt. And um, basically, if you finish in the top two of your group, the qualifying group which kicks off this week, you are definitely going to Euro 2020. And if you look at the groups, maybe the the Germany-Holland group, you know, could be could be tricky. But other than that, you'd imagine all the big teams will get through. And then if they don't, the wherever you came in the Nations League last year, that will give you a playoff berth. So, for example, Scotland. Yeah. do have, if they don't qualify from their group, they do have a playoff berth waiting because of their record in the Nations League. Exactly. So it kind of takes the pressure off a lot of teams and it also means that we shouldn't really get any shocks uh, next year. Even Italy. Even Italy. All right, OK. Well, we'll talk about Italy later on. Jules, we'll talk about it France too, if you fancy it. Yeah, definitely. Because there's been all sorts of craziness happening there. Yeah. Rabiot's mum weighing in. Griezmann launching his I Am A Legend video. Yeah, and rings. It's a lot about rings this week as well. Oh, yeah. Paul Pogba made rings? Mm-hmm. Well, he bought them. Didn't he make bought, them, but he yeah, had them made. Commissioned them. Yeah. Commissioned them, yeah. Commissioned right. them, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Take a look at Paul Pogba's ring later on there. <laughs> First of all, what the world wants to know about most is England. 
You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Free your minds and voices, lift your hands and join us. You can feel it in the air. Mm. You can feel it in the air. England preparing another campaign. Now, in pods, we, we tend to always start with England because, well, England. But this time around, they're, they're genuinely one of the most exciting stories out there. That plucky side that won hearts and lots of set pieces at the World Cup and then did ever so well at the Nations League as well. And we'll be uh, continuing that adventure in June. Now unveiling a new generation. What an exciting squad, James. Yeah, um, I think there's still a freshness um, to this team, a sense of of progress um, building from from the World Cup, um, be it the change of system, um, be it that that win against Spain, the come-from-behind win against Croatia as well. And you look at some of the new components uh, of this team with um, Declan Rice um, coming in and talk about that front three, which seems to be uh, set with Kane, Rashford and Sterling. Um, but the players behind them uh, in the pecking order, you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Jaden Sancho as well, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, if you're an England fan. Absolutely. Scary stat here courtesy of Jack Pitbrook. There's now only one player in England squad who was actually born in the 80s. There are as many players who were born in the 2000s. In fact, I think there might be more now. Callum Hudson-Odoi. Joining from the other 21s yeah. yeah. So Hudson-Odoi was actually born after Wembley got knocked down, which is no. emotional. The old Wembley. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And we, the, the videos from training of Jaden Sancho destroying Harry Maguire and all that. Jules, give us an objective view on this England squad. I would, I would be disappointed if Jaden Sancho didn't start on Friday, I have to say. I know, I know Rashford, Sterling and Kane have done really well, especially in that first half away in Spain, not so much in the second half, but in that first half. And it's probably unbalanced or too hard to play them all four together. So I don't know, maybe like a 4-4-2 formation with Sterling on the left, Sancho on the right and and Kane and Rashford up front, or even Kane a bit behind Rashford, and then Declan Rice or another pure defensive midfielder and, and someone next to him as well, wh- whoever that may be. But I would really would love to see Jadon Sancho starting that game. I think he deserves it. I think he's in the form of his life and why not starting. We had that debate in France the, 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 the two seasons before before the World Cup about Kylian Mbappe, and I think he, there, there's a lot of similarities, although they're two different players, but between Mbappe and Sancho, and there was a lot of people in France in the debate who were saying, like, he's too young, give, give him the time, he doesn't need to be starting at the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. And it was pretty obvious for the other half of the country that he, talent doesn't wait for the age, you know. And, and I think if Sancho is at that level right now, which he's shown all season with Borussia Dortmund, I think, it, you know, he, he would deserve a place in that team. Mm. Duncan, you're going along on Friday. Mm. With producer Ben. So we'll work the a BDI on, on what's going on. But, I mean, I take Jules' point there, but I think England do have a, a lot of riches up front. I think Rice playing in midfield is probably the biggest change that Southgate hopefully will make because if there was a weak part of England at the World Cup, it was the midfield. Um, and Rice, you know, it really does look like the real deal. Um, he'll be the first player with Rice in his surname to play for England since Charles Moe Rice back in England's first ever match in 1872. So That's that, an extraordinary... Gap. Yeah. Is rice a, a, like a common name in in England? Or, or well, England, more common than potato and pasta, which I, sounds stupid, but I did actually look up once, and there are a couple of people with the surname Potato. Who played for England. Not They've oh. never played for England, but maybe one day. What other foodstuffs, Duncan, because I know you've looked this up, have played for England? 
I don't know. Have you not looked that up? I haven't looked that up. I can't up, believe that you checked potato and pasta. As lasagna. As this was a Patrick Berger for um, the Czech Republic, and of course, as you say, lasagna. They never played for Italy, right? Well, he's in, no, the, he's squad. in the squad. Oh yeah, he's in the squad. That's yeah, right. I, I saw that. Played. Imagine rice against lasagna. I mean, that would be. Well, it's it's no absolute, contest. Absolute carb classico for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, so England, the question marks, uh, if anywhere, uh, surely must be at the back where you've got the excitable Everton keeper Jordan Pickford, Michael Keane, who's not really had a great season, and uh, various players who've withdrawn, like Luke Shaw, John Stones. Also, did you see Czech Republic um, striker Mateo Vidra out of Burnley mm. saying that England's defence, and in particular Harry Maguire, can be exploited he said that that's what that's what Burnley did. Mm. Uh, it was big talk for a nation that finished four points behind Northern Ireland in the uh, in the World Cup qualifying. But but well, slaphead. Well, I mean, look. Ultimately, England's first choice defence should everyone be fit. Centre back uh, will be John Stones and Joe Gomez. Um, so I think it's just in this case that you've got Maguire, Tarkovsky, and Keane. Yeah, in terms of depth, backup. They're serviceable, and we saw what Maguire can do uh, at the World Cup, his effectiveness from set pieces. Um, so, you know, really, with this Czech Republic side who have Vidra, who's been sort of, you know, jobbing it around the championship and, and being sort of a backup striker in, in Premier League clubs down the bottom of the table, and Patrick Schick, um, who's done okay with his, his country, scored the winner in both games against Slovakia in the Czech Republic-Slovakia kind of derby. Um, I think that trio... Um, although it would be only two of the three, should be able to cope pretty well uh, with this Czech front line. OK. Czechs, just one of the rivals we're facing in Group A, the other nations being Bulgaria, Kosovo and Montenegro. Duncan, they enjoyed a wonder win over Poland's side, uh, which featured Lewandowski, and then also uh, they beat Slovakia. I think that was away. That was the end of 2018. So coming off a decent pair of results, Duncan. Yeah, I think the slightly disappointing thing is that I think I wasn't overly convinced before the Nations League started about it, but what was good about it was that teams were playing their peers, if you like. Right. You know, England were playing Croatia, they were playing Spain, and we, we've now gone back to, admittedly, a shorter qualifying period, but it's still a lot of kind of games where England are going to have you know 70% possession at home and make a lot of passes and probably win 3-0. I see. There are six players from Slavia Prague in the Czech squad, which is interesting because they've just knocked Sevilla out of the Europa League. Other Czech facts include the statistic that they're the number one beer-drinking country in the world, 160 litres per capita. But Schick's the, the star name, James. How dangerous will he be, do you think, for the likes of Maguire? Well, I think he's done better for his country than he has for his club uh, in recent times. Um, he obviously went from Sampdoria to Roma for €42 million Euro about 18 months ago, which was the biggest signing in Roma's history, beating um, the investment that they made for Gabriel Battistuta back in uh, in 2000, I think it's never been quite an easy fit uh, for Schick at Roma because they don't play a system um, that gets the best out of him. Um, but Claudio Ranieri has certainly tried to make him a part of the the first team at Roma, playing two up front with with Jeko and, and Schick. Um, with his nation, though, it it, it is. Yeah, I think uh, yeah he's done pretty well as I mentioned, and in the in the Slovakia games, which are big games for the Czech Republic, he scored the winner in both of those uh, matches. Um, and he's a very technically gifted, elegant footballer. Um, I remember when yeah he was 
coming through in that season at Sampdoria. He was some of his skills were reminiscent of Bergkamp, you know, ability to go past players, link the play, um, invent something out of nothing. So yeah, I think he would certainly be the player that uh, England will have. Well, yeah, he'll be a, the main feature of their opposition analysis. I see. This one of only two games that England will have to prepare for the Nations League finals in Portugal, the other one being Montenegro on Monday. Who don't have Jovic. Jovic or Vucinic anymore. Not maybe the Montenegro that uh, once posed a threat to get into major tournaments, but mm. never did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Monday night, by the way, breaking news. Uh, Duncan, our trip to Liverpool has been postponed. If oh. you were due to be coming to see us at the Epstein Theatre on Monday, unfortunately they've rescheduled the show... Uh, for late, for I think November, you will get a full refund and be contacted by the theatre, and we'll get back to you on when the, when it's actually going to happen. Which means we can all sit around and watch England Montenegro. Woohoo! Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, hey, mate, hey, what doing, mate? and always support my country. A huge defeat for Wales. Questions will be asked of the manager. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Super, that was a crackling part. Let's try and maintain that intensity. (laughs) All right. All right, Okay. Let's dial it up to 11 now, folks, as we detail what awaits the uh, the likes of uh, Scotland, Wales, Ireland and, yes, Northern Ireland over the uh, over the, the next week or so. Scotland, who've won promotion, of course, in the Nations League to the second tier, which means they've got that playoff semi-final place in their back pocket. If they don't get through the group, that's good news, isn't it? Because is it a tough group? It's got Belgium and Russia, who face each other this weekend. Also Cyprus, San Marino and Kazakhstan, or whatever they're called now. Their entire sco- squad, Scotland, I'm reading here, only has nine goals internationally between them. Yes, yeah, scoring goals. Yeah, it's, it's not... Um, hasn't been easy, I think, for them to come. They also have a problem at left-back because Robertson and, and Tierney are both out um, for, for this game. It's just they have a good young generation coming through. They've put The last few years, they've put a lot of effort and money into uh, youth teams, youth system, especially for the, Sc- the Scotland youth teams. And, and they've got a very good generation coming through. Whether they have the right head coach in place for them, I'm not so sure. And they will also need results. But if they could qualify for the Euros, whatever way, and it looks that you know maybe the playoffs would be because, as you said, it's a tough group, would be their way. That experience would be really, you know, I think priceless for especially for the younger ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Scotland will look towards uh, Ryan Fraser, who's been obviously very effective in the Premier League this season. He's got a goal and three assists in his last two games for Scotland. So, I mean, if he turns up, then they should be okay. I mean, I think maybe the the fact that they know that they've got that playoff as a reserve could allow them to play a bit with a bit more freedom in the group. And you know, you never know what's going to happen between Belgium and Russia. You know, they could drop points where we don't expect. Exactly. Wales had a 1-0 win, a scrappy 1-2 over Trinidad and Tobago at the evocative surroundings of the race course in Wrexham, which is the oldest existing stadium-to-stage international football. It hosted Wales's first home match in March 1877. Did you know that, Duncan? I did, actually. Yeah. yeah. 
anyway, uh, this was with uh, Gareth Bale and uh, Aaron oh, Ramsey, um, right? Charlie Mo Rice played there um, God, for yeah. England. He only ever played once for England, mm. um, and then he That's became a, a stockbroker. Is that um, right? Classic path for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, there was no Bale nor Ramsey in the uh, in the lineup against Trinidad and Tobago, but they're expected to be taking the field when Wales host Slovakia on Sunday. That group, uh, so this the Slovakians, also Croatia. It's quite a tough group, this, isn't it? Hungary and Azerbaijan. Huh. Ireland, uh, ooh, a new hope. They begin life under Mick McCarthy. A new hope. Yeah. Exciting. No, exciting new dawn. They're away at Gibraltar, and then they're home to Georgia. Keane is in his backroom team. Robbie Keane, that is. Uh, if you're curious, James, about who else is in the group, alongside Gibraltar and Georgia, mm-hmm. the Irish will also be facing Switzerland and Denmark, who are potentially more arduous adversaries. Well, Gibraltar suggest. and Georgia are rock in a hard place, you might say. Hey. Yeah. That is good. That's very good. When uh, when Mick McCarthy got the job, he yeah. celebrated at the restaurant at the uh, Hamyard Hotel in oh, yeah. Soho, and we were supposed, me and my wife, to have dinner with uh, our friends, except that we forgot. And our friends called that night saying like, oh, sorry, we'll be late. And we were literally in our pyjamas with our children in our house. So we had to get ready quickly, get the babysitter in. And then got to the restaurant and Mick McCarthy was still there and celebrating. And our friends got really excited that Mick McCarthy was there when we were not there. For example. Wow. We don't it's have an story. anecdote of the season award <laughs> yet. Yeah. But that's that's incredible. And uh, anything else about that night, Jules? We we made it an hour late. Yeah. We just completely forgot it was in the diary. It's been there for a long time. Jules' friend, friends, if you're John, listening John to this, Anna. Sorry, John how and much Anna. you matter. John, John listens to our pods right. every week. I, I apologise again. We, we made, it was a lovely, lovely evening. Uh-huh. Just We were just an hour late. And Mick, was he particularly vocal <laughs> was, in his yeah, celebrations? Yeah, with, with his family. Jo, so John tell, you know, told, told us... Uh, and yeah, it was the day he, he was. He, he got the news that he got the job and and everything. So I guess we we, we you know we, we were part a bit of of Mick's happiness. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ireland's squad. They're four strikers, fourteen caps, and one goal between them. Talking about scoring goals being an issue, that doesn't sound too comforting. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm sure Irish fans will be delighted to have turned that managerial page. Northern Ireland, who didn't win any of their Nation League games and were relegated, of course, have gone and got themselves drawn in a group with Germany and the Netherlands. Yikes. They don't have a playoff in their back pocket, do they, Duncan? They don't, unless some odd results happen, no. Oh, could they have one? Well, it kind of cascades down. It's a bit like every oh, second see. counts, the old Paul Daniels vehicle. But, um, yeah, they, right, okay. yeah, they've got to get through this group pretty much and they're not going to, but good luck to them. Right, no, well, Grig... No, it's not on fire anymore. No, he's out. Yeah, yeah, and in a very real sense. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Well, tell you what. Speaking of Germany and the Netherlands, remember how their miserable 2018 probably had its nadir in that three-nil defeat in Amsterdam. They know them. That's even them. Zelda doing it on your schitterend gedaan, Jorginho. They know them. That's it. It's all in you. That's it. Well, with 2019 already not off to the best of starts for German football, guess who they've got this weekend? Netherlands. That's right, Jules, who, by the way, are enjoying a fine time of it. Did brilliantly in the Nations League, Ajax flying in the Champions League. We decided then to dial up Simon Cooper, who quite literally wrote the book on the German-Dutch rivalry, to ask how much they'll be looking forward to this clash in the Netherlands and where their own current resurgence has come from. I mean, firstly, it's just 
an unexpected generation of players emerged quite suddenly. Ronald Koeman became manager of Holland about a year ago. And he says he hadn't expected then all these players to suddenly come through. So you have Matthijs de Ligt, who's 19, um, you know, the Ajax captain, regular centre-back partner of Virgil van Dijk who, uh, as you know, has been the best player in the Premier League this season. And Van Dijk has really come from nowhere very fast. I mean, five years ago, he wasn't even picked for the World Cup 2014. He was a very average player then, and he just gets better every month. So you have these two amazing centre-backs. You have Frankie de Jong in the centre of midfield, who's a guy who can dribble from the back of midfield and um, keeps advancing the ball. And also just Holland have adopted a what you might call vertical footballer game, where you move the ball forward quickly. You know, when you win the ball, the opposition's out of position. You very quickly... Um, um, pass forward, you have players running into space, which sounds obvious, but the Dutch didn't do that for years. They played this very kind of slow horizontal game of kind of endless possessions, sideways, square balls. And so I'd say it's the tactical plus the um, the sudden generation, other players beyond the ones I've just mentioned as well. Simon, back in the dark days of 2017, you said that Dutch football had become something of an old boys network. So what is Koeman doing different and how significant is it that uh, Van Gaal has retired? I mean, Van Gaal was the last Dutch coach still operating at top level, but it's true the game had started to leave him behind. I would uh, name the Ajax coach Erik ten Hag and the, the previous but one Ajax coach uh, Peter Bos, who's now at Leverkusen in Germany. Uh, Bos helped get them to the Europa League final two years ago. Ten Hag um, coached them to some marvellous performances, not just against Real Madrid, but also against Bayern Munich and Benfica this year. And what you see is that these coaches are very influenced by German football because kind of Germany became the new Holland where they played this very rapid, forward-moving style with Gegenpressing where you, um, you press opponents second you lose the ball and uh, that's what Ajax do uh, the Dutch national team not so much but it's it's also plays much quicker I mean Kuman is absolutely a guy who is very interested in the latest latest in international football so uh, the Dutch national team is more counter-attacking but they do that again very rapidly you know Kuman, to his credit has always kind of stayed in touch with what the Spaniards and the English and the Germans are doing. Uh, he was really the only Dutch coach of his generation who stayed at top level. And, uh, you know, there's a new thinking. That's what happens when you lose for years. You start to think, well, actually, maybe we don't know how to do it. Uh, let's look around. And the Dutch are lucky that their neighbours, the Germans and the Belgians, and just, you know, two hours drive the French, are the best national teams in the world. So it's a very easy place to go looking for best practice from. So a 3-0 win over Germany in the Nations League at home and then a 2-2 draw away, and here they come again. How keenly will this fixture now be felt in, in the Netherlands? I mean, it's actually, the Dutch now really like the Germans in football, in politics, uh, everywhere. So, you know, when I wrote Football Against the Enemy 25 years ago, there were these obsessions with the Germans linked to World War II still a genuine dislike of Germany and that doesn't exist in the Netherlands anymore and in football actually in recent World Cups many Dutch people have supported Germany which which sounds very weird but you know this is the way we're going the Dutch have kind of realized again that they are very like the Germans they're cousins or mini Germans and in football you see that as well and of course Germany in football is not the, the kind of ugly lucky defensive physical team that they were 25 years ago they're you know although they failed at the World Cup last year they, they do try to play beautiful football so the Germans learned from the Dutch and then the Dutch began learning from the Germans which is the way you stay at the top you you have to kind of look at the people doing it best and copy them that's also what Gareth Southgate's England aspires to do there you go. Quick chat there with Simon Cooper, kind of mini Cooper uh, slot. And you can read more of him, if you like, in the FT. Germany, of course, got relegated thanks to the uh, the Dutch efforts uh, to Pool B of the Nations League. They, they've only had one competitive win in the last year. 
That was that last-minute win against Sweden. No teams in the Champions League quarterfinals. For the first time in 13 years or something like that? Mm. Leroy Sané's back in just in time to be at the wrong end of a very nasty-looking tackle in their uh, midweek 1-1 draw with uh, Serbia. Did you see his outfit as well when he turned up for the... Uh in the Germany training camp. Base. I didn't see it, Jules. What did it look like? So you had the, that, the Balenciaga wool coat where they, they, they painted on. That was worth £4,000. Okay. What, what, sorry, what's painted on? So on the coat, yeah. uh, so it's made of wool, right? nice fluffy wool, and they, they painted on it. Um, and that's, that's, by his own, it's only worth £4,000. He had a big Louis Vuitton bag that was worth eighteen k, And then his trainers, which were Nike Off-White's, were two thousand pounds right. per pair, so he shocked a lot of people that his whole outfit was worth around twenty five thousand pounds for him to travel right. to Germany. Okay, this edition of Get the Look, Get the Look, to you by Julie Rossani. <laughs> What's wrong with an Umbro training top? Well, well, quite. Of course, um, there have been big changes to the the German outfit. They've cleared out all the veterans like Hummels and Müller and Boateng. Interesting to see if they haven't cleared out Jurgi Löw though. No, they haven't, have they? Maybe it's, it's about time on. they did. It's clinging on. I don't, I don't think they played badly against Serbia. I have to say the second half was better than the first half. Oh, you watched the game, Jules? Yeah. Well, I had, tell us more. What, I had Wales. New, how, how's the new look team going? I, yeah, I mean, it was it was quite a young team. I still think that defensively, Zula, Ginter are not good enough for me to you know to go far. They're certainly not nowhere near as good as Hummels and Boateng and could have, you know, or were at their peak. Uh, so I think defensively, and we saw that in the goal they considered with Luka Jovic... He's on his own on a, after a corner, and there was two more big chances for um, for Serbia as well. Testegen came on at halftime for, for Neuer. I don't know how Neuer started that game, but it's a no-brainer. I think that Testegen should be the starting goalkeeper in that team. But when when you know when when Rose especially came on, uh, I thought he, he made a big difference. I like obviously the youth that they they try to bring in. I, I wouldn't play Timo Werner up front. I would rather them try something else, whether that's even someone like Mario Gozzo in the force number nine. But I think I don't think he works with, with Werner there, to be fair, and he missed two big chances yesterday. But there was still, I think, a lot of positive things, especially in that second half. Goretzka took his goal very well, and they had loads of chances. They could have won the game 4-1 or 4-2 easily as well. So I don't think it's all bad for a first game in 2019. But the Dutch would be a far tougher opponent than, than Serbia, where even if Serbia played actually quite good football at times. OK. That's going to be the game of the weekend, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Right. France, who got beaten 2-0 by the Netherlands in that Nations League run. You're away at Moldova on Friday, Jules, and then you're home yeah. to Iceland. Yeah, on Monday. OK. What's your recent record like against the Icelanders? Yeah, we obviously smashed them in, at the Euros 2016 after they beat England. Yeah, so more recently, Jules. <laughs> smashed the ice. Uh, it was more difficult in a friendly game in yeah. Gangon. 2-2 uh, draw. 2-2, where Kylian Mbappé came off the bench to, to save a draw for the, the World Cup champions. Right, OK. You, it's an easy group, this, though, isn't it? I know there are no easy games at this level, but Iceland, Turkey, Andorra, Moldova and Albania... Yeah, I mean, Deschamps, they, they I thought, was good this weekend, so were the players, by saying it's, it's always hard to... To, to go again, I think, after winning a Euros or a you know, World Cup, I think that's why Spain in that generation was so incredible. But I think he, he's been quite good um, after the Nation League disappointment because France thought that they were going to qualify for the semi-final and, and a, a very last-minute goal from Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk. Thank you, Simon. Exactly. Prevented them from, from qualifying. But, but I think 
Pogba said yesterday that the players were, were tired after the World Cup, the, the whole stress and, and everything that had happened in that summer. And, and maybe it was not a bad thing in the end not to go through for the Nations League quarters because I think it was a, a bit of a warning sign and I think he sort of re-energised them a little bit for this Euro campaign. Any surprises in the squad, Jules, or can we just crack on? I mean, quickly, just because I, I had a lot of questions on Twitter. What people, why is Laporte knowing that squad? Uh-huh. And why is even Longley, who is having a great season with Barcelona, knowing the squad? And I'm sure we talked about it before, but I'll make it quick. Deschamps is not stupid and he's not blind. He knows how good Laporte is and how, Longley, how good Longley is and how they've been good this season with their respective clubs. There's two very important things for Deschamps. The first one is the seniority. Uh-huh. And the fact that if you've been part of that team and that squad for a long time, you get a head start to, towards other other players. So for him, Umtiti and and Kimpembe, because they were there at the World Cup and in Umtiti's case at the Euros as well, they have some sort of priority if you want over others who were not there because they're used to the squad, they they know the code, they know the the, the, the way that everything the works, etc. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And and the other one is he would only take two left-footed centre-backs in his squad. Not okay. three, not four. So the two right now, Kimpembe and Umtiti. We saw in November when Umtiti was injured that Mamadou Sako was picked ahead of Laporte and Langley. So there's clearly a clear hierarchy for him in centre-back, left, left-footed centre-backs. So I'm sure Laporte and Langley at times will have a chance maybe if that meant that Kimpembe and Umtiti, for example, have to be injured for them to go in and then they will have a chance. But that's why they're not there. And also when Laporte was part of the squad, because he's been called up before, which is not Longley's case, but in, in Laporte's case, Deschamps felt that his social skills, to put it that way, were not very good. He was He's a loner. He's always been quite a lonely guy, to be fair, not really integrating with the rest of the squad. And Deschamps didn't really like that. Deschamps the has shown him the door, which is ironic. Because the door is closed right now for him, to be fair. his name, you know. In, <laughs> uh, Adrian Rabio, his mum... Adrian Rabiot's mum versus PSG. Who wins? Yeah, uh, it's a, I think it's a tight contest, to be fair. They, yeah. She's not happy and Rabiot is not happy that he's been uh, put aside, if you want, by PSG. And probably quite illegally as well because he's, he's done nothing wrong. Now, I think PSG are trying to use the fact that he liked uh, uh, the Patrice Evra video after the, the United game on Twitter to, to, to bring a case against him. He so also, they want to what bring a they want to freeze him out of the squad because he liked Patrice Evra. So they froze him already. They they frozen him from the squad. Now they, right. I think they want to sack him because he liked Patrice Evra. And also because he went partying in a nightclub in Paris the night of the United defeat at the Parc des Princes. Right. And he, he him and his mum says, "Listen, you don't play me. I don't even I can't even come and train at the at the." So they're not the playing his Lange. mother either. No, but and 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 Rob is saying, "I can do what I want. I'm not I'm not a football player anymore." That's that's. I think the men wouldn't be fine in her interview, but she said he's a prisoner. He, you know, they they are preventing from playing football, right. which he just wants to do his job. He's a hostage of PSG. They're strong, strong, strong words when you think about other she things said happening in the put world. Put him on bread and water soon. Yes, and he's on 250k a week. That they still that's uh, a lot 250k of 250k a month that they still pay. Yeah, some of the best bread as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Feel French pain. So, um, Jules, this surely is an untenable situation. Will he not move in the summer? He's out of contract anyway. Oh, okay. that's, that's, the, that's the key of the problem, is that he didn't want to renew the deal, oh, so yeah. they've frozen him out because of that, although Tuchel wanted him. Well, it's only a couple of months then. Yeah, I think, right. I think she, she... I can understand why they're frustrated and why it's not a good situation for him mm. and for the mum, who is his agent, but there's not much more, to, like you said, to go, and, and then he'll be free to sign wherever he wants. 
Okay. Uh, Anton Griezmann, is he going to sign for Man United? Because there's loads... Well, there was a paper saying that this week. Jules? There was. He's, he's, he's questioning what to do next. That doesn't mean he's not going to stay at Atletico, but I think he was very disappointed by the, the defeat at Juventus. But not, so just, not just the defeat, I think the way they, 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 they plan the game and mm. the way they play the game. And, and I think he would stay. You think he'll stay yeah, at Atletico? Do you know what I'm going to do next? What? I'm going to go home and watch Antoine Griezmann, The Making of a Legend. Have you watched The Decision first? No, I haven't watched The Decision. <laughs> I need to watch that before I watch. These are well, Antoine Griezmann. One will inform the other. Okay. You'll probably maybe get two minutes into The Decision <laughs> and then decide not to watch yeah. the next one. But what is his. The Making of a Legend is about him, yeah? Yes, it's his whole own Netflix documentary. Um, to me, that sounds quite unprecedented for a, an active player to basically... I mean, Messi's not done one. Cristiano Ronaldo's not done Sergio one. Sergio Ramos is doing one at the moment. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, hence the film crew. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's the, it's the new thing. There's going to be cameramen on pitch at some point in the next five years, I think, following players around, going, get out, get the striker out of the way. My my boy needs to get on the end of this cross. Yeah. It's a chilling vision of the future, Duncan. The tough thing is he got absolutely slaughtered for the decision documentary, which I believe only LeBron James had ever done before. So it was quite easy for everyone to compare. You're not LeBron James. You will never be. You will never be as close as what LeBron James was to basketball than what you could be to football. So why? And then he just waits for a year, less, even less than that, six months. And then he thinks like, do you know what? The decision, the decision was so good. In the decision, if anything, <laughs> yeah. that I'm going to do even better, bigger than that. I'm going to do like a whole documentary about myself. Well, he has won a World Cup, I guess, in the meantime. Yeah, yeah, and maybe he thinks that's enough to be called a legend and to, to 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 do this. But like you said, even the biggest of the biggest of goats have never done it. Well, quite. But I'm waiting to see. I haven't, you know, I'm waiting to to watch it and then judge by myself. But it's a big call. Paul Pogba gave everybody in the France World Cup squad. Uh, NBA championship style rings. How, yeah. how much? How much did he spend? Oh, we don't know yet. Really? I I was so told it's around twenty thousand dollars each. Twenty thousand dollars each. Yeah. And how many players in the squad? Twenty-three. Well, you do the maths, listener. It's a lot of money. He, the, the, the very interesting thing. Duncan, what's the answer? approaching half a million wow. euros, dollars, whatever. Some of the players, yeah. and I won't say names, were not so convinced about the idea. So Griezmann came up with the idea. Griezmann did that for himself and just for him after winning the Europa League. <laughs> I know, I know. So he, he created his own <laughs> ring after winning the Europa League. That's the decision. Because him and Pogba are huge NBA fans or American sports fans. And, you know. uh-huh. So Griezmann came up with the idea. And there was a few of the boys in the squad that were not so keen on spending 20 or 30, whatever on a ring to celebrate the, the World Cup win. So then Pogba to said, okay, don't worry, I'll pay for everything. The mm-hmm. French Federation paid for the transportation from LA to Paris, which cost 10,000 euros just oh, right. to transport the 23 rings. And then on Tuesday night, Pogba had a little ceremony with Griezmann to give the ring to the, the, the 17 players who are currently in the squad who were there in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So six Another Rami Dembele and Zonzi, Mendy, Lucas Hernandez, and someone else. So they are missed, they've missed out. They still have the ring, but not to them. And none of the staff, Deschamps was not invited. Deschamps didn't even know that they gave the ring on Tuesday night. It's only on Wednesday morning that he, he learned about it. Deschamps thinks it's a good thing because he will even bring those guys together even more. And that the, the guys who. ring to bring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and the ones who were not at the World Cup would want 
to win to to get similar rings because I think it's something they will do now if they keep winning. But yeah, it's it's, it's grand to say the least. If, you, if you haven't seen the, the rings they everywhere on social media, but there's a lot of diamonds on them, names of the players, all the games that they played. Russia 2018, world champions written on them, etc. I was going to say England didn't do this when they won the World Cup in 66, but then they did run into their own jewellery-based issues a couple of years later, didn't they? Right, thanks for that, Duncan. Didn't mention that it was Griezmann's birthday today. Yes, for his anniversary, Antoine. All right, I wonder how he's going to be celebrating. (laughs) So he would have a cake, because that's what they do when they're together in the national team. So they have a big cake. himself. So yeah, he will bake it and eat it by himself. Um, yeah, and they'll have a, a little party, but no, nothing. Okay, nothing it's an auspicious day for footballers because Ronaldinho is also yeah. an age today. And Luther Mateus. Wow, it's a big day. What? 21st of March. What are you doing today, Jules, this evening? I'm commentating from French radio on Chelsea PSG in the uh, first leg of the Women's Champions League quarterfinals. Oh, tonight really? at Kings Med, yeah, in Kingston upon Thames. If you're there, I'll be there too. And it's quite an exciting game, to be fair. But yeah, between the you know English champions and and PSG, who are trying to get there with the top teams in Europe, right? Much as their male count- counterparts. Yeah, I mean, uh, how much are PSG pushing this? They are. There's a big budget. I think 10 million euros uh, is the budget for the season for the women's team. They've got very good youngsters, French youngsters, um, coming through. They also have. Uh, Wong, for example, the Chinese playmaker who is who is very good. The problem they have is that Lyon is, has been so good and is so ahead of his time for women's football and has been for 10 years uh, that is PSG is playing catch-up with them mm. and they, they're they trying to get there. But it's an, ex, it's an exciting game and uh, Lyon beat Wolfsburg 2-1 yesterday in one of the other quarterfinals. I think there's Slavia Prague, who, by the way, we mentioned in the Europa mm. League also in the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League. They have a very good women's team as well. So Bayern Munich, Barcelona... Um, so it's a good competition and, and tonight should be a good game Right, interesting you know, twist that the women's game and the men's game that in, in the women's game PSG are chasing Lyon not the other way around and they're also still in the Champions League <laughs> they are. Uh, James you wanted to Yeah I should also say that this weekend um, there is a top of the table clash in uh, the City Out Women's Championship between Juventus and Fiorentina which will probably feature Enia Luco and Lana Cleland uh, and it's being played at the Allianz Stadium as well. Oh, nice. um, and uh, I think entry is free uh, as well. So, well, a week on from that 60,000-plus exactly. crowd in yeah. in Madrid. It'd be mm. interesting to see the, the turnout for and that. I was a bit disappointed, just to finish on that, that the, the Chelsea PSG was not at Stamford Bridge, I have to say. And I know they play their home games at Kingsmead, and it's a, it's a nice little stadium. But What's I think for a game there? like that, 4,600, only 2,000 of city places. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Italy, home games coming up against Finland and Liechtenstein for Roberto Mancini's Azuri, who've only had three wins in his nine matches in charge. But there's a lot of positivity around this side because it's a bit like England, Duncan. There's a, there's a promising new generation there. You've got your Enrico Chiesas, although there's an injury scare over him. Federico Chiesas, because oh, yeah, Enrico son. wouldn't be very young I anymore. wouldn't be very young <laughs> Federico Chiesas. You've got, you've got Zaniolo, Barilla, Romagnoli. I mean, Moise Kane. A lot of exciting, a lot of exciting uh, new talent in there. The midfield's very exciting. Verratti, Jorginho and, Jorginho and, and Zaniolo now going into that mix as well. Barella. Yeah, I think it's it's um, going back to November. It it would it seemed very difficult to to move beyond the front the, the midfield three that he had settled on, which was very much Barella, Jorginho, and Verratti, because they were the 
they were the reason that a lot of people were getting very excited. They seemed to mesh very well, uh, very quickly. Um, and uh, but he's got so many options, and of course we've seen with Zaniolo, someone who's very flexible. He's played in a, a number of different positions for Roma. He's played as a ten. He's played on the wing. He's played in, in midfield. He was a six or an eight. Um, so you know, I think there's a there's a lot of options there, and of course. One of the reasons why Balotelli's not in James is because a certain 36-year-old striker hmm. uh, is top of the scoring charts at the moment, Fabio Quagliarella, mm. and completely deserves to be there and is someone who does have that kind of technical proficiency um, to to combine with you know a couple of technical wingers um, in a way that maybe Balotelli doesn't. Um, right. So, yeah, I think quite excited to see uh, Quagliarella back in the... Uh, maybe back in the starting level for the first time really since Italy went out of the World Cup in 2010. Good Lord. Um, so, um, and yeah, they're on full merit as well. Oh, uh, we'll be talking about the Italian national side in Golazzo this week, which is a very busy show because it's also got full story and picks on the extraordinary Victoria Cecchigori and all the crazy things that went on on during his reign at uh, Fiorentina. And we also touch on one of the really intriguing tales that's kind of breaking at the moment, um, the American takeover of Sampdoria with prospectively Gianluca Vialli becoming president. Now, mm. we didn't have any confirmation yesterday. Today, there's been a little bit more word on this. It does seem like this is a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been rumbling on uh, for some time. Uh, I think there are maybe some parallels uh, with the uh, Cecchi Gori case at Fiorentina and Massimo Ferreira at, uh, at Sampdoria. I think it's maybe about time that uh, this club came under stable ownership, even though the uh, the people he surrounded himself in terms of football expertise have done actually a very good job in terms of appointing managers, signing players. But yeah, would be would be very positive, I think, to see uh, Sampdoria taken over by uh, an American group, which seems to have very, very solid foundations and, and bright ideas um, as well. And Viali back at Sam. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Well, also, Viali had, has been asked to be a part of uh, Roberto Mancini's uh, not backroom staff, but be a, a director for the Italian Football Federation. I think one of the reasons he has um, postponed making a decision on that is because he wants to see where this takeover leads. And it does look like it's leading to him becoming the uh, next president of Sampdoria. International week, and that means listener questions. Here's Guy, Guy Lacan, perhaps Guy. He says, which team, I like this question, outside of the big six, has the best long-term chance of escaping the Everton Cup and consistently competing for the much-coveted Champions League places? And conversely, which of the current big six is most likely to drop into regular Everton Cup contention? What do you think, Jules? That's a very good question, Guy. Um, I think Wolves, obviously, have been the, the surprise package of the season. Uh-huh. And who do you see coming down? I go for Chelsea. Really? You I think... think they're in a real mess. Really? Yeah. James? Yeah, I think if you look at the, the limits that are going to be placed on, on Chelsea, unless they can overturn the, the transfer ban, um, the issues with star players and their contracts running down and, and wanting to move on, and the owner's situation as well, you know, whether he is um, as committed and prepared to put in money uh, as he once was, because we've all seen Chelsea move to a self-sustainable model, I think to some extent a lot will depend on on uh, the situation with Pochettino at Spurs. Uh, were Pochettino to leave, which I think is becoming more and more unlikely, um, you know that might have a, an impact on them, um, particularly given that they've they've built a new stadium and all of the money that that has taken up. 
But in terms of getting into the uh, into the top six and replacing one of them, uh, yeah, I think probably Wolves have the the better backing and the the manager at the moment. Duncan, you going to say Chelsea and Wolves? No, I'm going to say uh, Tottenham. Much for the reasons James just outlined, um, and also coming up Leicester. I think they've got a really good youth policy. They've got a new manager. They've, you know, they've got like is it the fourteenth biggest wage bill in the world? You know, they 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 pay a lot, um, and I think they've got you know potential to go back in the top four. All right, nice one, Guy. Also in the post bag this week, Cornish weather says, please never play share again without ample warning. <laughs> I ended up at a set of busy traffic lights with people and school kids crossing in the van with her blasting out the open windows. <laughs> Total loss of credibility. Sorry about that, Cornish weather. Uh, Warren says, Australia moved to the Asian Federation to become more competitive. Which nation would the esteemed panel like to see play in the UEFA Association from outside on a regular basis? You got a nation you'd like to see drop into the Euros? We can pick anyone, even like... That's the yeah. question, yeah. I'd go for Brazil, number like... Qatar. Argentina. Okay. Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, Brazil, you know, hit, I mean, hit me with a left-field choice. Brazil are halfway there, aren't they? I mean, they play games at Loftus Road and Craven Cottage and stuff. Just It's like it's like the Copa America this year will have Qatar in there, mm. Japan. Yep. Maybe the Euros should do the same Japan, and just invite... Like Japan in there. Just invite, yeah, yeah, yeah invite other countries. Not least for the stadiums after, spick mm. and span. Just invite other countries, <laughs> yeah. you know. No yeah. need to clean up your dressing room. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Oh, Christopher Veland or Vyland, potentially. Christopher, anyway, says, Thank you for reporting on MLS and Rooney's hat trick. May I direct your attention to FC Cincinnati? Yes, James? Well, no, we've just gone from Japan to MLS. Oh, yeah. And it's quite interesting. You look at Vissel Kobe, who've been able to get, like, Iniesta... Uh, David Villa, Torres now plays in Japan. And one of the reasons that they're choosing Japan over MLS mm. is because in MLS, a lot of the pitches are sort of astroturfy, 3G. There's a lot more traveling involved. Um, and, you know, outside of New York or LA, where do you want to go and play, really? Where's Japan? You know, everything's. Cincinnati. Yeah, but I mean, James, would you move to Cincinnati to do this podcast? I, I mean, I I've got know, a friend who lives in Cincinnati <laughs> and uh, commutes from Chicago. But I, I th- yeah, really, I'm sure, it's a, it's a great place. But um, radio is great there. But, Am I but, right, eighties fans? Yeah. But Japan, James. Yeah. I mean, you can go everywhere by train, Bullet proper, proper pitches. Oh no, sure. If they're offering to do the podcast in Japan, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely consider that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so back to uh, Christopher. Directing your attention to uh, FC Cincinnati, which is a new franchise, winning their MLS home opener against Portland, who are only the defending Western Conference champions. 3-0 it was. And the second goal, as Christopher points out, was an absolute belter. Lamar holds it up. Maddox making the run. Here's to turn around by Dielnip. Back for Lamar. Roland Lamar. Deflected ball. Alan Cruz back in. 2-0 Cincinnati. Well, there you go. Denim John. Sorry if your windows were down, by the way. Man in the van. Uh, Denim John says, I know it's International Weekend, and I know you ever look at the Premier League, City, and National League, and World's Strongest Man League tables, but treat yourself to looking at the lower half of League One, if you haven't already. It's unbelievable this, says Denim John. Duncan. Well, as a as a erstwhile Wickham supporter, I'm alarmed, because we haven't won for eight or nine games, and we are being sucked ever downward. Um Towards the relegation zone. It's an incre- it's a thirteen team relegation battle. There are yeah. thirteen teams all within four points of the drop. Uh, in the lower half of the table, uh, which Denim John was just mentioning, twelve teams within six points of each other 
from 13th to, to, to bottom. Some big games coming up this weekend as well. Uh, I'm not sure who Wickham have got. We're, well, we were supposed to be playing Charlton, but oh, that's right. been postponed for international call-ups for, from Charlton. I right. presume Jonathan Johansson and Mark Fish, but I haven't checked. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we could, obviously not playing means nil poire, so we could go further down. So. Damn. Okay. Anyway, best luck to everyone concerned there with the League One relegation battle. Uh, lots of people responding to Flip Reverse, our exciting Jules new segment in which what? we... We reverse engineer football history. We we right some wrongs. Uh, we had Daniel Story talking about the 1991 FA Cup final on Monday. Oh yeah, I did 2006 World Cup final, didn't I? Yeah, you did, but Last you week. kind of we we didn't really give it the full flip reverse. Oh okay. Feel free to come back with another French defeat or PSG disappointment. Because I can't there's enough to choose from. <laughs> on another occasion, because today is all about Duncan's choice. Okay. Selbridge Guna says 1991 Cup Final, not a bad choice, but the ultimate flip reverse it would be the quarter-final of the Champions League between Arsenal and Chelsea in 2004. I agree. Arsenal, I was there, I agree. I considered that one. Arsenal held on to the half-time... If Arsenal hold on to their half-time lead and beat Monaco in the semis and Mourinho's Porto in the final, Mourinho never makes it to the Premier League. Was that your ramification? Uh, well, also, um, yeah, essentially, yeah. But also Wenger would have, you know, won the Champions League and and the Invincibles would be more reasonably called the Invincibles. I see. LD says, in a twist on Flip Reverse, which one managerial change would you prevent in history? Well, there you go. That's another. That's an avenue we could go down. LD mentions Bobby Robson replacing Souness, which started the Newcastle wild ride into Ashleyism. Well, I tell you, the possibilities are endless. But we'll be playing today's designated historical incident of Flip Reverse Hit after this. Thanks, Blazing Squad. It's time once again to meddle with things we don't understand and march back in time to redo a game that we're just not happy with. Mind those ripples in the space-time continuum. Duncan Alexander, as you take us back to when? September 1992. Oh, right, hence the snap earlier. Yeah, exactly, and it was um, 1-0 to Manchester United and it was the match where Dion Dublin broke his leg. No complaints from Manchester United about the Eric Young challenge that so cruelly cut into Dion Dublin's first season with them and left Alex Ferguson facing an imminent European campaign with just eight fit Englishmen. A broken leg and a dis-ankle cast a sad shadow over Wednesday's game. The broken leg is one thing, Duncan, but that dis-ankle... If you diss your ankle, then, yeah, it's bad. Interesting to see Dion Dublin's sporting apparently a moustache in those days. I don't recall that. It was September 1992. It was. People it was the did different things. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a tash yeah. then, James? No, I didn't. No. No. Shame. We could easily say Chris Palace win the game, that's enough points at the end of the season for them to stay up. But obviously if Dion Dublin doesn't break his leg, it, it's unlikely that United then, a month or so later, go and sign Eric Cantona from Leeds, which obviously is the the big catalyst for then what happens for not only that season, but for the following seasons. Um, and it's quite common when you reimagine United without Ferguson, whatever, to go back to the Mark Robbins game in 1990. But I think the difference with doing it at this point is that we're far enough along that I think it, what it would have done was really affect the class of 92 and I don't think a lot of them would have necessarily come through because if you think Ferguson, he gets that at the end of that season, Aston Villa win the league, who's the manager of Aston Villa 
Ron Atkinson, who's their star player, got player of the season, Paul McGrath, both ex-United. The thing there would have been, oh, look, United again have, have, have screwed things up. They've Their old managers won the league. We should have kept him, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they wouldn't have signed Roy Keane at the end of that season. He'd have probably chosen Blackburn, which was his choice. So I think it would have really had a, a massive tangible effect on oh, the... Although, I mean, but could Dion Dublin not have performed the same role as Eric Cantona in, in this Cantona-less universe? I think not. That's not to take anything away from from Dion Dublin. He then went on to have a, a good Premier League career with Coventry and Villa, and invent a percussion instrument. Exactly, even better career on Homes Under the Hammer as Indeed. well. But I thought the game was to flip reverse something for a better ending. Well, and you, you, well, I you, think this you is wouldn't a want the best thing no, that right, ever so happened to English think... football not to happen. <laughs> Well, I think there's a better ending if you're a supporter of Newcastle United, if you're a supporter of Liverpool. I think Liverpool would have two or three Premier League titles. Newcastle would have probably dominated the mid-90s. Blackburn might have won a couple of leagues. Aston Villa would have won a league. I think in terms of kind of egalitarianism, it would have been a a better move. That's interesting. What would happen to Eric Cantona languishing at Leeds? Well, well, but maybe in the same the way, title, maybe yeah. in the same way, Leeds would have become the United. And a generation of young Leeds players would have become the owners of Salford. Exactly, yeah. because remember David or O'Leary's babes. Watford. You know, if he just hung on a little bit longer, I he would know. have brought. You know, he would have brought those babes through. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, wow. Okay, which universe would you rather live in, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> um, another universe. Just anyone. Yeah. Okay. It's a big shout, but mm. I'm hearing you. All right. Well, um, on that note, let's get the odds on some of this weekend's exciting set of internationals. Here's producer Ben talking to Paddy Power. Yes, listeners, it's your favourite part of the show. It's that time when I speak to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's international week. I'm excited. You must be too. Uh, Let's talk about England versus the Czech Republic to start with. I have a feeling that Harry Kane is going to score and one of Jadon Sancho and Callum Hudson-Odoi is going to too. What sort of price can I get on that one, please? Well, I don't want to sound like I'm stuck in the summer of 2018, but very confident. Both scenarios you've outlined are four to one. Harry Kane, of course, odds on score any time, like he is in most matches. That's four to six. And we like the chance of Sancho and Hudson-Odoi too. Both for the same price, 23 to 10 to score against the Czechs. And I have to say the betting for England generally is more buoyant than Harry Maguire on an inflatable unicorn. They're one to five to win this match. What could possibly go wrong? Really interesting chat with Simon Cooper earlier on in the show. So give us the numbers, please, for Holland beating Germany. Yeah, Germany going for a rough patch, aren't they? I was going to say it's always nice to see that, but I can't remember the last time we did see a dip like this. It was almost 20 years ago, of course, but they are dipping and Holland are going in the opposite direction. So we make it 5-4 to four that Holland remain on a high in Amsterdam. They're our favourites for this, while it's 13-8, to eight, Germany given the red light with an away win. The draw, which I always think is massive value in these tight games, is 9-4. to four. And finally, Lee, with apologies to all of our friends at the Totally Scottish Football Show, can San Marino score against the Tartan Army? Could be a risk, I suppose. Scotland are running out of left-backs, but they're not always the greatest help against San Marino, just ask Stuart Pearce. Scotland are 1-100 to 100 to win this game. San Marino, our longest-priced team to win this international break at 40-1. Just a score, though, is more likely, of course, for San Marino. It's 6-4 to four that they get on the score sheet. Quite hard to imagine. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Monday's Totally Football Show, we'll see Michael Cox joining us alongside Daniel Story and Jack Lang. So if you have a question sparked by today's edition, do send it in 
because I feel there may be time to respond to it and more. What are you going to do this weekend, James? I'm going to watch Milan San Remo, I think. Oh, yeah, Saturday. Saturday afternoon, mm. yeah. Right. Duncan, what's your weekend hold? Similar to James, I'll be watching that. And as we said earlier, I'm going to uh, England, Czech Republic on Friday. On Friday so That's going to be huge. Enormous. Going to be huge. And you, Jules? And I go to France, Iceland on Monday night. In Paris? In Paris, indeed, at the Stade de France. Well, that'll be lovely. Jules didn't fancy Moldova. No, no way. Picks Neither and chooses my, his games. Neither did my family, to be fair. <laughs> right. Right. Excellent. All right. Well, listen, whatever you get up to in the next few days, do have a splendid time and we'll catch up with you on Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.